This podcast from Teacher Magazine is supported by postgraduate teacher education courses at QUT, a university for the real world. The more you learn, the more they learn. So find a flexible course that's right for you and help make a bigger difference in the classroom with QUT. Hello, and thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Dominique Russell. In this episode of School Improvement, I'm joined on the line by Brett Crawford, the lead science teacher at Warrigal Road State School in Brisbane. With over 1,300 students and 50 staff members in the primary school, a big task was ahead of Brett when he decided he would work towards improving science education in every classroom. The impact has been clear. Students from Warrigal Road are now entering high school more prepared than ever for science education, and teachers have hit the ground running with inquiry-based science learning. Brett has just been recognised for his outstanding work this year after receiving the award for the Prime Minister's Prize for Excellence in Science Teaching. Later in this episode, he'll also be sharing the details of a couple of his budget-friendly experiments that students really enjoy – But first, Brett explains a little bit about what science education was like before he began mentoring teachers. Uh, Before I started uh, mentoring at at Warrigal Road State School, science uh, was a lot less focused on inquiry learning. uh, And that was a trend that was generally noticed across most of Queensland. Teachers would do science in their classrooms, but the process skills and the inquiry skills of science were not getting... Uh, the appropriate amount of attention that they needed for students to excel in those areas. And so the first thing I did uh, was to look at how to structure science inquiry so that uh, the teachers felt confident doing it in their classrooms and also that it was meeting uh, the standards of the Australian curriculum. And so with over 50 teaching staff at your school, how did you actually go about getting each staff member on board with explicit science teaching in their classrooms? Uh, With so many teachers at the school, uh, you have to begin by working with the willing. So I always knew that there would be teachers who would be more open to working with me. And so I just focused on those teachers uh, to begin with. And the philosophy is that once you get those willing teachers engaged in science and their students are Uh, building up their science skills and uh, excelling in science that other teachers then look at that and they want to be part of that as well. So um, I did not work with every single teacher myself because the other thing this sort of process means is that once you have people that are skilled, they can then also be mentors to their teaching partners. So it's a domino effect. Um, So I was the first port of call but then we were always encouraging other teachers to talk to their colleagues, show them what they'd done. And so uh, with me continuing to work with the, with the teachers and with that roll-on effect, uh, uh, the whole process moved through the school fairly quickly. To begin with, I just worked with my year level. So when I started at uh, Warrigal Road, uh, I was put on to year four uh, and I was brought uh, to the school with, uh, an, an eye to them uh, using me for my science uh, skills, uh, my science expertise. 
so I just began by working with my year level and the very first day uh, in the pupil three days before uh, school started when we were looking at science assessments um, I said to them look the the QCAT assessment it was actually the earth science unit for year four with erosion and, and I had a familiarity with it and I said the QCAT assessment for this is actually pretty good it's fun kids are doing hands-on stuff maybe we could give that a go and uh, uh, the other teachers all all agreed that that sounded like a good idea and so we we went from there and then you know having worked with that year level in my first year uh, in my second year I was fortunate Di Carter became our principal and she had worked with me before at Waterford West and she uh, gave me uh, the lead science teacher role uh, which meant that I could then offer advice to other year levels I could work with the heads of curriculum and then in 2015-2016 I was given two days a week where another teacher was working with me on the class uh, so she taught Mondays and Tuesdays and then those days for me were where I could dedicate that to science coaching, science curriculum, actually going out with people and having a lot more time working in their classrooms and, and helping them out. Uh, teachers were released by the Hawks with, with uh, coaching time to come and speak with me. And that really did jumpstart the whole process. So uh, I guess if you think of it as a sort of a curve, we started slowly and then the further we went, the the more we were able to do and it really took hold. Fantastic. And then, so you've done all that work at the beginning then, but how do you actually go about maintaining a school environment that everyone is really focused and engaged in science? The, the key to keeping science at the forefront of people's minds uh, is uh, you've got to work with your admin team. Uh, I work closely with the heads of curriculum as much as possible. Uh, so we talk, we share ideas, uh, I take time to look at how the science results are going um, for each year level. I've also, uh, I'm also very fortunate in that our one of our deputy principals, Tyrone Bruce, uh, he's my line manager for science. So at Warrigal Road, the different deputies have different portfolios. Tyrone's portfolio includes science and we work very well together. So we will get together uh, and we will chat about what's happening in science, how our science results are going. We also have our key science teachers in each year level. So there's uh, literacy teachers who are in charge of overseeing English units for the term and then there's numeracy teachers who do the maths units. And the key science teachers do the same thing for science. So they are the ones who for their year levels are the first port of call they make sure that the units are organised, that the resources are there. And uh, we have uh, meetings uh, about twice a term with that key teacher team to talk about how things are going in science. Are there any things that we need to work on? What's been working well? So it's a very collaborative approach. And, and uh, anybody who's worked in schools of any size knows that one person really can't drive change or at least not long-term change you need to uh, almost infect the school with change so that it really takes a hold and it becomes a part of, this, of the school's mentality. Schools are like living things, they're organisms. You know, you've got to reach every single little part and um, that's when you know that you've made a difference. 
And so what about the specialty teachers in the school then? How did you go about targeting their classrooms? Well, in at Warrigal Road, uh, the, the first group of teachers, specialty teachers, I guess you might say, that I worked with were the hearing impaired teachers. And um, our head of special education, Linda Brown, um, was very keen to get the hearing impaired students more involved in regular classroom activities and classroom curriculum. Apparently there there was a type of thinking that those students would mostly be working separately in a separate area. And Linda uh, approached me and uh, was talking about uh, the students and we mutually agreed, yes, I wanted those hearing impaired students that were in my class anyway, I wanted them in the classroom doing science. Uh, so, so that happened and then that became the norm that those students did science in their regular classes and now those students actually work a lot more in all of the curriculum areas. Uh, so that, that was the first group that I worked with. Uh, I've also done some work with our students who are on ICPs or who have uh, learning support. Sometimes uh, when I had my science coaching time, those two days a week, I would have some of those students come to me in the last uh, hour of the day on a Tuesday and I would do some work with them, helping them to uh, be supported in, in the science curriculum they were doing, however modified it might be. Uh, and also uh, when the uh, teachers uh, do their uh, specialist support, most of that at the moment is focusing on uh, literacy and numeracy. So those, those students that, that are supported uh, in whatever capacity, they are there in the classroom doing science. They're, often they're doing a modified version of the curriculum depending on their abilities. So if they are on an ICP, we look at what we're doing in science for that year level and how we can modify it to meet their learning needs. Uh, so in terms of science, a lot of those students are really working in the classrooms anyway. They're just being supported as much as possible and their work is being scaffolded as much as possible to, to meet what individual needs they have. Yeah, excellent. And so for the members of staff that were particularly anxious about bringing more explicit science teaching into their classes. How did you go about easing them into it? As, well, as I said, a lot of it was to do with the inquiry process, the the noisy, messy, uh, and ironically fun side of science. So getting the students to do uh, proper experiments. And there was there were things like that happening, but again, sometimes it wasn't necessarily meeting the requirements of the Australian curriculum uh, where by the end of year six students are supposed to be able to come up with an inquiry question and identify variables and write their procedure. Uh, so I used a lot of stuff from Primary Connections, a wonderful resource, Australian Academy of Science uh, came up with it for those people who aren't familiar with it and if it's the Australian Academy of Science, you'd think they know what they're doing. And they really do. They know their stuff. And I was um, trained by that as a science spark uh, up here in Queensland uh, when that was happening in 2010, 11 and 12. And so it was going into people's classrooms and, and really starting with basic stuff like how do you write a science question? How do you write an investigable question? What does it look like? And 
for me, it was an ongoing process. It, it didn't strike me like a bolt of lightning by any means. Uh, it was try something and does this help teachers to understand what it's like? And, and through a process of exploration myself, I sort of streamlined the process down. Uh, and now we have in every classroom uh, posters as resources that show the students and the teachers, this is how you come up with an inquiry question. This is how you identify your variables. And the great thing is that we have made that a uniform process throughout the school. So starting uh, in prep, where they're just beginning to do basic observations, uh, we start that whole inquiry process. By the time they get to uh, grade two, we're talking about variables and experiments. By the time they get to grade four, they are seeing that there is a there is a set way that we do our investigations throughout the school. By the time they get to grade six, uh, they've probably done maybe 40 or 50 of these types of investigations, gradually getting more complicated as they work their way up through the school, but always following the same process. This is how you write your question. These are how you think about what your variables are. This is what we mean by a prediction. So it's that constant process. You are constantly giving them the same message over and over again. And that is a big part, too, of our science success, that across classes and across year levels, we have that uniformity of how we approach science. So students and parents know Whoever's class you're going into, this is how science is going to be taught. This is the sort of things that you're going to expect. And our high school colleagues have said to us, your guys come to us well prepared for year seven science. So that, for me, is one of our biggest measures of success, that our high, the high, people at high school say, yes, when they get to our door, we know your Warrigal Road students are ready. Yeah, and I noticed that you have quite a good relationship with the high school in that respect and also that you've connected with universities and businesses in the area. So why is that important to you, particularly working at a primary school? Kids need to see that what they're learning in schools uh, is not isolated. It's not limited to the classroom. So when we get people who work in science fields coming into the school, uh, it makes the science that they're learning here so much more meaningful. Uh, so when we, for example, are studying things about light in year five uh, and the students are doing things like breaking up lights into parts of the spectrum, uh, and uh, I suppose in a way it's, it's pretty basic stuff because they are just getting exposed to those ideas. But when we can get somebody from Technology Park coming over uh, people who do work on radar guidance systems uh, for the Air Force and they can talk about this is how we use light. So you are doing this, but when you, when you are out beyond uh, high school and beyond tertiary, these are the sorts of things that we use light for. Uh, it just adds another level to the students' learning. Or when we have uh, people who are who are biologists or environmental scientists coming in and talking about how they work in the field uh, with different types of animals or engineers who are responsible 
for building things, drone pilots uh, who actually use drones for mapping uh, for, for people when they're surveying properties, the students see that, oh, well, what I am doing is leading up and up and up, and it just connects to the community. And, and those professionals are so excited to come in and talk to students and show them the exciting things that they're doing in science. It, it really just adds another dimension to it, and it, it keeps the kids' enthusiasm fresh. They're, they're always wondering, what could I do? What, what possibilities are there out there? Could you talk us through maybe one or two of the budget-friendly experiments that you bring into the classroom that the students really enjoy? Okay. Uh, well, uh, dry ice is fantastic, can I just say. Um, that's probably one of the more expensive things that I buy, and there's a place not too far from where I live where I can get it for about $5 a kilogram. Obviously, it's not something that the students can handle, uh, but... If you want to demonstrate to students in Year 5 that gases actually flow like liquids, which for them just seems like, no, that can't be right, Mr Crawford. A gas is not a liquid, air isn't water. But you put some dry ice into some food containers, some plastic food containers, connect them with ramps made of alfoil at different levels and actually create a fog slide so that you put the dry ice at the top and you add some water and the fog flows out and then it flows down the slide into the next container and the next container and the next container. And the students see, oh, this is the phenomenon. And that's always what you've got to do. And that's a big part of Primary Connections. You've got to show the kids the phenomenon before you try to explain it. Um, one, of my, one of the ones I'm most proud of was teaching students why do cyclones spin? Uh, and it's all to do with the spin of the Earth and the Coriolis force and the parts of the Earth spinning at different speeds. And it's such a big concept. And I thought, how could how can I possibly show this in the classroom? It, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem realistic. But then I went away and I googled it and I, I learned terms like conservation of angular momentum. And by the way, I am not a physics graduate at all. I couldn't do chemistry and physics in a high school because my maths learning just didn't support it so I'm not a person with a science background but I go away and I looked up Google and I looked up some ideas and in the end all we needed were some lazy Susans those things that sit in the middle of your kitchen table and spin around and glue sticks and it's just a question of spinning the lazy Susan at a certain speed and getting the student to roll the glue stick off their hand and onto the spinning disc and because different parts of the disc are actually spinning at different speeds. The outside of the disc is spinning faster than the inside of the disc. Uh, as the glue stick rolls towards the middle, it curves around, and we made a game out of it. Can you get the glue stick to roll onto the disc and come back to your hand? So the students did that for five or ten minutes. They were, they were happy as Larry playing this game. But then we can take that away and say to them, well, here's the thing. The Earth is a little bit like the disc. The equator is the part of the Earth that is spinning the fastest. The, the further you go towards the poles, the, the, the spin of the Earth actually is slower. And as winds move away from the equator, they are like the glue stick. As they move away, as they're moving across that disk spinning at different speeds, they curve around. What happens with cyclones is no different to what's happening with the glue stick. And you could see the, the light bulb going off in the students' heads. Oh, that's what's happening. But 
without that simple little hands-on experiment, the concept is so abstract. And that's what I think is exciting about science in primary schools. You can often demonstrate the most complex ideas at a simple level with simple inexpensive resources that the students can see what you're doing and then once they've seen it, you can then build on the understanding, you can give them the technical words, but they have to have seen it. They have to have experienced it because that's that's how our brain works, that's how we learn. One thing I would like to say to teachers out there who don't have that science background uh, is not to be afraid of science. I don't have a background. Uh, people sometimes say to me, teachers say to me, I can't teach science like you, Brett, because I'm not fluent in science. And I say to them, I'm not fluent in science. I'm fluent in Google. Whatever I'm not sure about, I look it up. You know, and I read it and I try to understand it as best I can before I teach it. And the other thing they say to me is, I worry about what's going to happen when I do the wrong thing or when I say the wrong thing. But when you think about it, that happens all the time. When you start teaching, you know you are going to make mistakes and that you are going to learn from those mistakes. Science isn't different to any other subject in that area. Yes, you will occasionally say the wrong thing and realize afterwards, oh, I got that wrong. And, and you will go forward and you will learn from that. But uh, students are so into science. They have the two basic qualities that you want for science. They want to know how everything works and they love playing with cool toys. And science has the best ones. All you have to do is tap into that natural enthusiasm and science in your classroom will flourish. You just have to believe in your own ability. That's all for this episode. To keep listening or to download all of our podcasts for free, whether it's from our series on behaviour management, global education, school improvement, teaching methods, action research or the research files, just visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen ACER. The full transcript of this podcast is available at teachermagazine.com.au. That's where you'll also find the latest articles, videos and infographics for free. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine supported by postgraduate teacher education courses at QUT, a university for the real world. The more you learn, the more they learn. So find a flexible course that's right for you and help make a bigger difference in the classroom with QUT.